you have a nice Thanksgiving? Glad to see your son's alive. David got in a little bit of a car crash this weekend. Yeah. You want to come up and tell us about it? No, never mind. <laughs> Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We'll be picking up at verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. A couple of people have asked me about high school and what's going on with high school. We're taking a break from high school. After the first of the year, we're going to resume high school. We're going to be doing a study. It's produced by Ray Comfort and Way of the Master about sharing your faith. That will be starting in January. Um, As Sean announced, we're going to be having the question and answer night. That will be a week from this Sunday. And afterwards, we'll be having Christmas hors d'oeuvres. That is, if you guys bring any. It's for the church to come and to bring it and just to have a time of fellowship, kind of an impromptu goppy feast kind of a thing. Um, if we don't have many questions, which we have a few right now, you'll need to bring a lot of hors d'oeuvres. If you have a lot of questions, we don't need so many hors d'oeuvres, so see how that works. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 4, I'll start at verse 2. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Father, once again, I pray as we come to this section on prayer, that, Lord, you would show us, Father, the necessity and your feelings on prayer, the necessity to be diligent in prayer. And so, Father, as again, we set your word before our face, have it penetrate our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So far in our study in the book of Colossians, we have seen, and you can break it down this way pretty easily, chapter 1, the truth about Christ. In chapter 2, we saw the truth about the cults. Chapter 3, the truth about the Christian life. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, the truth about prayer. And it's very interesting, the last month or so, we've been looking at marriage. And we looked at the man's responsibility in marriage and the woman's responsibility in marriage. We saw for two weeks how to raise kids according to the will of God. And then last week, we saw what was necessary to prevail in the workplace. And it's interesting that right after all that, you need to pray about it. Definitely need to pray about it. Because all of those things, there's a lot of richness in them, but they're not going to come to fruition in my life unless I am a man, unless you are a person of prayer. So at the end of all of these truths, Paul now brings us to this priority that prayer truly is. We pray in church. We talk about prayer but are you a prayerer? Prayer warrior, we'll we'll build it up, but just simply, are you a person who prays? I'm not just saying throwing out a prayer here and there, but somebody who is diligent in prayer. It's that which is truly going to build a strong born-again believer and cause the seed that is the Word to germinate within yourselves and to sprout and to bear fruit. See, just as it is important that we teach and hear God's Word, it's equally essential that God hears us praying. So in the next five verse, over the next two weeks, we're going to be confronted with our lack of diligence in this area. Take heed who thinks he stands, lest you fall. 
Just keep in mind, you can never pray enough. Matter of fact, when you think you pray enough, then you're truly not praying as God would have you pray. So again, we need to confront ourselves here. Am I truly a person of prayer? Am I diligent in this area? So what we're going to do is break it up in verses 2 through 4. Actually, okay, verses 2 through 3. We didn't quite get to 4. We'll learn or be reminded how we are to talk to God about man. Then in verses 5 through 6, we will learn or be reminded how to talk to man about God. And you need to see how this works. First, I have to be a person that talks to God. I have to have that relationship with God before I can be a man who talks to others about a relationship with the Lord. The prayer, prayer needs to be that which prepares us for all that God would have for us. Prayer needs to be that which causes that line of communication to be open between us and God at all times. Prayer is that which has to go before everything that I do or I will be defeated in everything that I try. And so as we go through these studies, consider that maybe God put these verses before us at a time like this so that 2015 would be a year that we spend talking to God and we spend talking to people about God. That we would make this our prayer. God, make me a person who prays. If you pray that prayer, though, God's going to bring things into your life that will cause you to bring, be a person that prays. He will bring you to your knees without a doubt, but I guarantee you this, there will be no better place for you to be. And so again, the end of another year. I can't believe 2014 is almost over. We put out our Christmas decorations. We got our trees and so on. We've got the Christmas tumbleweeds up here and, 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 and all that. And it just signifies just the end of another year. What is God got for you in 2015? It's going to start with the spirit of prayer. So the first thing that we see, what is to be the manner of our prayer? Verse 2, continue, excuse me, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Two things when it comes to the manner in which we must pray. Pray. We must pray earnestly and vigilantly. Vigilantly? Vigilantly. You know what I mean. For clarity, next to earnestly, you could write dedicated. To be a person who is dedicated to prayer. Dedicated to prayer, to understand the importance of it. To understand that you have the privilege in prayer of coming before the majesty of God. You enter into His holy place boldly through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in your prayer, it's part of the reasons that Christ died on the cross so that you could pray to God. And you see the importance that God places upon it. Are you placing an important importance on it as well? Next to uh, vigilant, you could also write disciplined. Disciplined. And we'll categorize both these manners of prayer under just simply being devoted to prayer. A person who is devoted to prayer, who understands the importance, but also realizes the privilege that I have the ear of God at any time, any time regardless of what is going on in my life. So let me ask you, in your prayer lives, are you persistent or are you spasmatic? Are you persistent or are you spasmatic? Persistent prayer is one who prays without ceasing, has that open line of communication with God at all times, is praying as they go throughout. Now again, not so much of a form prayer or anything like that, but again, just constant conversation with God. Or are you spasmatic, just kind of praying when I'm thinking about it? Just praying when, well, something hard or difficult comes in? Or, or, or just praying when, well, it's scheduled at church or whatever it might be? 
Again, God has called us to be people to pray without ceasing, to have that open line of conversation with God. So what happens when you have that constant conversation with God? All of the events of your life, they enter into your prayer life rather than your prayer life entering into the tough times and the difficult days when they happen to you. You know, just like Daniel. Turn over to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is just going about his normal life, and there's some men in the king's court who are very jealous of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, it says, So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men say, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so they understand that his, their perception of him, his weak point was his relationship with God. We know that that was a strong point. Their weak point is that they did not have a relationship with the holy God. So they go and they talk the king into issuing, issuing a law that nobody is to bow down and any other God. Well, they knew that Daniel did this, and so they feel that they've got him. And so Daniel hears of this in verse 10 of the same chapter. Now, Daniel knew what the writing, that the writing was signed. He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So Daniel, in their mind, was to be blamed, but we understand that this is Daniel's strong point. And so we got to look at Daniel. Daniel in this concept of prayer. And the first thing that I see is Daniel's priority is God. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world. It doesn't matter all of the naysayer and the doomsday speakers and all of those things that are going on and the reality of, of ISIS and the reality of, of rioting and all of this stuff. Daniel's priority is always God. And so that's a given in his life. See, we are to obey the laws of the land until they conflict with the desires of God. And so he's fit in with the laws of the land, again, as long as they don't conflict with the desires of God. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Secondly, Daniel did not pray because of the decree. The decree did not cause Daniel to pray, but life's situations and circumstances revolved around Daniel's prayer life, his faithful prayer life. So again, everything that came down the pike, everything that entered into his life, entered into a man who was already faithfully praying. And so he wasn't caught off guard. He was prepared for this. He was prepared for this. As I said before, he's a man who's praying without ceasing. He's got that communication going with God so that, again, when hardship enters in, 
And I'm not a prophet, but I know you're all going to go through hardship. Maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe months. I don't know. But we all go through hardship. Are you prepared that that hardship would enter into your prayer life? Are you prepared in that regard? Or are you the mindset, well, I'll wait till it comes and then I'll pray? Well, that wasn't Daniel. For most of us, we enter into the battle unarmed. And then we seek to find arms once the battle has started. I've never been in a real war, but I would imagine entering into a real war without a weapon, it's really going to be a hindrance. This trial was not the catalyst for Daniel's prayer, but the catalyst was God's will, God's goodness, based upon God's word. See, Daniel knew the evilness of man, but he also knew the timing of God. He knew this based upon the word of God, because as we studied the book of Ezekiel this past year or two years ago, whenever it was, We saw that Ezekiel, he was a contemporary of Daniel, but also Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel as well. Daniel was one of the first captives taken over, and he's in the king's palace. He's got the word of Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 12 through 14, they're told, they're told, the prophet tells them that they are going to be in Babylonian captivity for some 70 years. Well, it's estimated at Daniel chapter 6 time, Daniel is about 85 to 90 So he knows God's doing a work. And he understands that it's not going to be long until his people are going to be released. And so he's faithful in prayer, understanding that when God moves, the enemy moves as well. He understands when God is going to issue blessings, the enemy is going to issue attacks. And he's wanting his people to be, well, he's wanting those people to be prepared. You look at Daniel 9, you see Daniel interceding for the people. The same thing you see in Nehemiah. Thirdly, Daniel has a structured prayer life. Do you have a structured prayer life? We've kind of instituted that here at the church, and that noon, every day at noon, we pray. We get together for prayer. We pretty much stop whatever we're doing, and we come to my office and we pray. Some people come just for that period of time at noon and pray with us. But just to have that structure of prayer, because we're people that need structure. As we have structure in our life, we develop habits, and what better habits to develop than seeking God out in our prayers. And so there was no need for an SOS prayer, no need to send up a flare prayer. All these things that happened just entered into Daniel's prayer life. And it was because of this, because Daniel was prepared, you know the story, the roaring lions couldn't touch him. And we have an enemy who goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I'd present to you the ones who are devoured are the ones who are not prepared through prayer. They're the ones who are not prepared through prayer. And I hate that term, prayed up, because you're never prayed up. That just doesn't make any real biblical sense. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but again, just a personal thing. But just in constant prayer, so that when the hardship, man is born to trouble, just as surely as sparks fly upward, Job realized, that we would be prepared for that time. It's always going to take you by shock, hardship. There's always those instances when it seems like your life is turned upside down. The only way to be prepared for those things is to have a life that is immersed in prayer. Look at the early church. Go ahead and turn back to Colossians. Look at the early church and see how the early church was prepared. They were entering into some pretty difficult days. But the early church, the early church was formed in prayer. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so they were gathered together in that upper room, and they were praying. Why were they praying? 
Well, they were praying for all that was going to take part in the book of Acts. Remember, all of the apostles, their lives are going to be required of them, with the exception of the apostle John, but nonetheless. But they started out, they were praying. They were fearful of the Jews. Again, they crucified Christ, and it just makes sense that the next one on their list is going to be Christ's disciples. But they were preparing themselves. They were praying. The early church was not only formed in prayer, it was bathed in prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 It's an earmark of the church. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Well, we do well with the doctrine thing. Every time we gather together, we get into the word. The fellowship thing, we do well with that. For the most part, we get along here. And the breaking of bread, we do real well on that. We eat good. But how about prayer? How about prayer? And that's for you to consider Formed in prayer, bathed in prayer, and the early church was fervent in prayer. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles realized that some of the things that needed to be done, some of the physical work was taken away from their ministry, and they understood that it was taken away from their prayer life. And anything that takes away from the prayer life is going to hinder the ministry, and that's when they brought deacons and they brought assistants in. I know the only way that I've been able to accomplish certain things around here that I've been able to accomplish is because those whom God has brought alongside to help. Now note, these were not just people praying randomly. They were not just small groups that were getting together for prayer. This was total church prayer. Total church prayer right at the beginning. And what did that church do? It set the world upside down. And again, think of it. You can look at ourselves as being insignificant, but God is able to do great things even through this church because he did great things through the early church, this little church, insignificant group of people in an insignificant country, Israel. Who could care less about what comes out of Israel? But again, it set the world on its ear. We know that God had great designs, but that church, it did its part. It was a praying church. Now you may be saying or even thinking that I pray. I'm very diligent in my prayer closet. But we see everything else in the world come crawling out of the closet. When is the church going to crawl out of their prayer closet and get together and move forward in prayer? Move forward in prayer. Move forward in understanding that there's nothing formed against us that will be able to prosper as long as we are connected with the Lord and have a heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord. One of the questions that I got, I'll answer early. What about ISIS and what about Islam? Are they going to do damage to Christianity, come up against Christianity? Nothing ever is going to come up against, well, I mean, they'll come up against Christianity. There's never anything that's going to prosper against Christianity. God, well, we're more than conquerors. We fight from the standpoint of victory. But I have to march forward as somebody who has victory in Christ. I've got to have that spirit of prayer. You know, just like Elijah. Elijah was outnumbered. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he was outnumbered. Israel Israel had become apostate. This is the northern kingdom. There were these prophets, the prophets of Baal. Baal was the prophet, at least in this context of what's going on here, of prosperity and money and riches. And then there was Asherah. Asherah was the god of sexual immorality. Kind of like our nation today. Kind of like the things that are worshipped even today. But Elijah was a man of God, and he understood the power of his God, 
And he understood that somebody had to stand before these people in that power. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, now, he had told... Uh, he had told the king to gather together all of these prophets and then they were going to build an altar and call down fire from the sky and whatever God answered that call, then that God would truly be God. And the false prophets, they attempted to bring fire down from their God, but since their God didn't exist, nothing happened. Then in verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. Now, what I want you to see is his boldness. And he's not bold just because he's Elijah, because you can look at the next chapter and he was just wanting to die. But here he is, he's bold, but he's bold in the Lord in the power of God's might. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That tells me there was not much sacrifice that was going on at the time. There was not much prayer that was going on at the time. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Israel means governed by God. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two shears of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill your water pots with water and pour it out on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near. It didn't just happen. Fire didn't just come down from the sky. Now, he did part of what he needed to do, and we can be good at this. He can rebuild the altar. We can put the stones according to biblical order, as it says in the Scriptures. We can take the sacrifice and we can cut it up real. We can do all of the busy work because this is what we're supposed to do. And we can be people that are really good about doing things. But then there was the most essential part of this sacrifice. He came near and said, Lord God, what is he doing here? He's praying. He's praying. He's seeking God out. And so what we see is he did what he's supposed to do, but he's not depending upon his works. He knows his dependency is upon our holy God. The prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal and do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the, book, the brook Hishon and executed them there. But again, prayer. And what was the result of prayer? Well, there was a fire on the altar. No, God was glorified. God was glorified. And so, do you see your altar and you never see any fire upon it? You're offering to God, but you never see the presence of God upon it. Well, it wasn't until he became, well, exhibited, exhibited himself as a person of prayer that the fire came. You won't see the fire until you have that heart of prayer seeking after God. Because, well, I look at my marriage. 
We did all of the things that we were supposed to do. We dated for a period of time. We got to know each other. We got married and we signed the license and all of that. But really our marriage wasn't a marriage until you really have that time of joining together, of talking together and having that communication together. Because without that communication, you don't, your marriage just isn't what all, all that it can be. And, and almost across the board, every failed or failing marriage that I see, it fails at the point of communication. And it falls apart at the point of a lack of communication. And somebody's thinking about what the other person they think is thinking what they're thinking kind of a thing. And it always goes to the worst. And, and it's just a, a horrible mess. And how much more so in our relationship with the Lord. Should we have that connection with the Lord so that we would know the mind of God, that we would know what God desires, that truly we would set the altar, that we would come together, that we would gather underneath God's word, but also we would be people who are prepared in prayer, that we would see fire upon the altar. And I think that's what we're missing here in church today. So many times the fire has tried to be ignited, but according to Baal and not according to God. Baal, well, with all the dancing and all the, you know, they were the, the false prophets, they were dancing and they were cutting themselves and doing all these extreme things. And from time to time, you'll see all these extreme movements. Again, the barking in the spirit and the laughing in the spirit and this hyper Pentecostalism and all of this stuff, these people trying to drag God down to themselves. And God says, entered into my throne room through prayer. Enter into my throne room by prayer and you'll see the fire. It cannot be something that you cause to happen, but if you seek God out, God will make it happen. I want to see God make things happen. This prayer, this prayer is not a gift to be kept, an emotion to be experienced, or an option to be considered. It is our duty. It's what God has called and commanded us to do. Prayer must precede, accompany, and follow everything that we do. It must saturate our souls and it must inhabit our lives. And when you pray out loud, you go on record before a holy God. And that makes you accountable before a holy God. Because again, we can so many times just within our minds throw out these prayers with no accountability at all. But when I pray out loud, there's thought that is involved in that. And even as I'm speaking to God, in actuality, I'm speaking to myself and I'm realizing my place. And I'm also realizing my responsibility before a holy God. And again, how many times have you prayed? I remember my son. This was right around the time when I was being saved. My son at the time was, I think he was in second grade. He was, we were going to the Catholic church and he was making his holy communion and his first communion. And one of the things that he had to do, he had to learn a series of prayer. And one of them was our father. And so my wife says, you need to go in there and you need to teach him the our father. Okay. And so I went in there and sat down. Okay, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, will be done on earth as in heaven. Da, da, da. And I could rattle off him. He said, wait, 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 he said. He said, I can't follow that. Slow down. Okay, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom, I couldn't remember. I could rattle it off without thinking. But once thinking came in, as usual, I was handicapped. I don't do good when thinking comes in. And it's the same thing. We prayed all of my upbringing. We prayed every meal. Um, how'd it go? Uh, Bless the Lord, these ladies are about to receive from the bounty of the Christ already. Amen. Let's eat. That's how it was. And my mom said, let's pray. And my father would roll his eyes. Bless the Lord, these ladies are about to receive from the bounty of the Christ already. Amen. And then you could eat. Now, where, where, where's the relationship there? Try talking to your spouse like that. See you later. 
It's not going to work. There's no relationship in that. You're laughing because it's so ridiculous. But that's what we do. That's how our relationship can be with God, or at least how we conduct our portion of the relationship before God, without thinking. Now, who designed thinking? It was God. And what was thinking designed for? The same thing everything was designed for, to give glory to God. Are you giving glory to God in that manner? Are you giving glory to God in your prayer life? Are you taking that time and setting it apart for glory to God? Just like my wife says, are you praying with those kids out loud? Husband and wife, are you praying together out loud? We pray together every day, usually a couple times, out loud. Praying together and just coming together. And really what that does is, again, it sets us right before God. And when I say sets us right before God, it it just sets clarity of everything that's going on before God. It, it, It causes a clarity. It also causes a unity. It's my wife and I coming together for a common goal. Now, part of the common goal is no longer the raising of kids because they're gone. They're free at last. Free. I'm sorry, I keep breaking out in that. But they're gone. But you never saw. I thought they were going to turn 18 and leave. That was the first fairy tale that I believed in. And then when I thought after they left, they were just gone and you never had to worry about them again. Now you pray for them even more diligently especially when they have control over your grandchildren. You really pray for them. That's a hard thing because, see, I know everything and I always want to tell them everything and you can't always do that. But nonetheless, we come together and there's a unity. There's a clarity and a unity in that, in that we're seeking the Lord out together. And God just simply blesses that. I mean, you look at it third party, you look at it from the secular standpoint, there's Mike and Terry sitting in a room talking out loud. They put people in the loony bin for that. But God honors it. God will honor it. Because, you know, we raise kids, and right now at this moment, we pray that they continue. They're walking with the Lord. What did you do? No, I think the main thing we did was simply pray. Just simply pray and never stop praying for them. Again, prayer is not a gift. It's not an emotion. It's not an option. It's our duty. It's time for the church to be diligent in its prayer, in its personal prayer life, but also in its corporate prayer life. So if you are devoted to prayer, you'll be vigilant or watchful. Prayer will keep you sharp towards others and what's going on in their lives. It'll keep you sharp towards what's going on in the world, and it will keep the direction of the church going in God's way. And even back in In Paul's day, we see in Colossians chapter 1, we looked at it a few weeks ago, in verse 9 he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. (coughs) We're not told exactly, but I would imagine Paul was very structured in his prayer life. I'm sure he prayed every day for all the churches. (coughs) Excuse me that he planted, and as he's heard the things that's going on in Colossae, he's excited about it. And because he's excited, he would always have his guys with him. We get together. When we pray, I don't know how often or when he prayed, but when they do, he prayed for them. That, that, that We ask that you may be filled with knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is a church, you know, even as I talk about my kids and having my grandkids, it had to be the same thing with Paul. This is a church that he planted, he started, he nurtured, but then sooner or later he left. 
And how, what effect can he have back in that church? He continued to pray because he knew, because you know, truth about Christ, that was being attacked. Truth about cults, cults were moving in. But what Paul did is he prayed. He prayed for that church. He gave of his heart. And he filled his life with people around him who had the same mindset. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, for Epaphras, who's one of you, this was more than likely the pastor of this church, a bondservant of Christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Laboring. Laboring fervently. Go out and work hard. Work hard. Go out and I'm running this, and i got to dig a trench for this, and I'm laboring, I'm digging, and I'm sweating. Well, prayer. I mean, so many times prayer is just what, well, it's the easy thing to do. Prayer is not supposed to be the easy thing to do. Epaphras, he labored fervently in prayer. And you know what that means? He had to come up against his will. He had to come up against his fleshly desires. He had to overcome these things in order to properly pray for these people. And so you're not going to feel like it, but that's not an excuse. You may not know what to say, but that's not an excuse. The Spirit will give you wisdom in your prayer and will give you the words to speak. We have no excuse to not pray. We need to overcome that which is opposition to prayer. And the first thing that I have to overcome in effective prayer, once again, is that, that, that person who's such a pain in my life, me. I've got to overcome me and enter into that prayer. Because how many times do you say, sit there and Pastor Mike taught about prayer, I'm going to pray every night at 6 o'clock. And you do Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday you forget. Thursday's church. Friday you got into the habit of not doing it anymore and Saturday it never happens again. You know, how many times have you set yourself you know, before the Lord, making those vows and never really following through? And it seems like every time when we do do something like that, it's always the flesh that gets in the way. The absence of prayer is the earmark of every human failure. One of my father's favorite expressions, it's not biblical, although I think he thought it was biblical, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. No, the road to hell is paved with a lack of prayer. Lack of prayer. Because God, we so want to see revival happen. And maybe the next revival is going to be the last revival that ever happens on this planet. And wouldn't it be something to be able to experience that? To be able to be there when this great awakening comes in this world today to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in droves. But again, absence of prayer. Absence of prayer is the earmark of so many failures you can even ask Peter. Turn over in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Up to this point, Peter's been telling Jesus everything that he's going to do. He's not going to allow them to crucify Christ. He'll give up his life before they are able to crucify Christ. And he's telling you about all of this arrogance that is in his life and all of this desire and according to his understanding, I mean, they're kind of founded on good intentions, but again, nothing that he's prepared to do at that point. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, coming out, he, Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from then about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Can you say that without cringing? 
not my will, but your will be done, not really knowing what God's will is and hoping that your will is what God desires to do. But here's the Lord. The Lord is about to take the sins of the world upon him. And again, this is God taking upon himself something that he has never experienced before. And what is the first thing, or the last thing, I should say, that Jesus does? He prays. And then an angel appearing to him from heaven strengthened him. So he prayed, and he was strengthened spiritually. See, but you've got to notice this. He's going to be taking sin upon himself, and he's praying. If there's any other way, God comes and strengthens him. And what happens within a matter of hour? He's still taking the sin upon him. Just because you pray, you can't necessarily pray it away. But God, God, give me strength in the midst of it that I would rightly represent you as I go through my hardship. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Then he rose up from prayer. The idea, he's finished, he's prayed, he's prepared. He rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples. Imagine these guys are really going to be praying because Peter said all that he was going to do, and of course he's not going to do it in the flesh, he's going to do it in the spirit because Jesus has been teaching him for three years. Well, Peter, Peter never prospered. <laughs> then he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He found them sleeping from sorrow. How many times have you done that? Time for prayer and instead you're sleeping. Now, on the other hand, there's nothing wrong every night like, like doing this is laying in bed at night and just praying and falling asleep in prayer. That's not a bad thing. But there's also a time when diligent prayer is needed. And unfortunately, the church is sleeping. The church is not awake and the church is not conscious towards the Lord or the things of the Lord. And what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for failure. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? So they shouldn't have been sleeping at that point. Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So we have two very important and contrasting pictures here on prayer. Two different parties about to enter into a time of trials, tribulation, and or temptation. One party, Jesus, upon entering into trials and tribulations, he's passionately praying. The Lord prayed, he was strengthened, and now he's prepared from that which we know he eventually is going to emerge victoriously. But then you have the contrasting party, Peter. Peter sleeps when he should have been praying. Or he went and fill in the blank as he should have been praying. And he falls in temptation, and he was defeated. He failed, he was defeated, and for a period of time, he was spiritually inactive, going back to his old job in the world as a fisherman. But also notice this. Part of Peter's restoration was also based in prayer. Look a couple of verses before in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now, he didn't say Peter, Peter. That was his new creation in Christ's name. Simon, Simon is his old name because there's still some of the old man in Peter. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. It's never good when you hear that. Mike, Mike, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you with wheat. And, and again, notice that he, Jesus did, well, let me finish, verse 32. But I have prayed for you. But see, Satan is still going to sift him. There's still going to be the sifting. Even though Jesus prayed for him, it didn't stop the sifting. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And so I'm hearing this, and it scares me to death. Satan has asked for me. He's going to sift me. And Jesus says, but I prayed for you. And it's like, oh, good. And when you return to me, well, wait a minute. That means that I'm going to leave you. Yeah, Peter, you're going to fail. 
You're going to fail in the flesh, but you will be restored in the spirit because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. We all fail, and we will always fail. That's part of the human condition. But we have this great high priest in heaven who makes intercession for us. And he's there and knows all you need to do is to seek him out. And even though you fail, and even though you're going to go into hardship that is going to test your soul, be a person of prayer. Because again, Peter wasn't, and he had to go through so much that he probably didn't have to go through. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure he had to go through that. But if he was that person of prayer, he never would have. Also notice that Peter was this man who was strong and who was mighty, and he depended upon that. Depend upon the power of his might and not your own. When you realize how weak you are, then you will find dependency upon something stronger. We are to find our dependency upon the Lord. Also notice, if you are devoted for prayer, go ahead and turn back to to, uh, Colossians. If you are devoted for prayer, not only will you be watchful, but you will also be thankful. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Alistair Begg said, prayers without thanks are like birds without wings. They'll never fly. They'll never fly. We are to be people who are thankful because thankfulness will cause us to focus upon the source of all good things. That's why we took, that was original intent of Thanksgiving Day. So we would not forget the source from all good things. That this is a nation blessed, but a nation blessed makes no sense unless you recognize he who has blessed it. Have you recognized he who has blessed your life? Have you recognized he who has given you your job and your provision and your spouse and your children and all of these things? Understand the goodness of God. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But you've got to wait on the Lord. And you've got to wait on the Lord in prayer. Secondly, after the manner of prayer, we see the matter of prayer. Verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Well, you can look at this verse and you could say that would make perfect sense. Paul would want them to pray for an open door. Why is that? He's in jail. I think that's mostly what people pray for in jail. Give me an open door. Get me out of here. But Paul wasn't concerned about that. That wasn't the open door that he was looking for. Paul, Paul's great burden has never been himself, never was himself. Paul's great burden is to fulfill the commission of Christ in his life and He spelled it out in Acts chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. When Jesus spoke to him, Jesus said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So even though he's in jail, he's realized I'm delivered from these people. These people can't do anything to me apart from God. Paul, they got you in jail. That's okay. I got him right where I want him. Verse 18. Why? Why? I see God, uh, Jesus said, I'm sending, them, sending you to them now to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, if you look at your life, you should be able, if you're a born-again believer, you should be able to relate to this. Because Paul, remember, he's on the road to Damascus. 
And what happened? Christ arrested his soul. What happened after that? He was blind. He was blind. And what is he called to do now? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Just like you, Paul. And from the power of Satan to God. Just like you, Paul. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Just like you, Paul. And inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Just like you, Paul. Paul understood this. He understood the grace of God. And he was thankful. He was thankful. How do you know when you're thankful for the grace of God? Will you, in turn, minister that grace of God to those people who have you or are attempting to put you in prison? Now, I know he was physically in prison, but spiritually, he was free as can be. Give me an open door. I don't mean the jail door. I mean an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to preach the grace of God to those people who are blind. Because I understand that, because Paul could say, and you should relate to that, I was blind as well. And not only was I blind, I was in darkness. But I came to light, and I understand all that that means. And and I was under the power of Satan, but now I have come to the power of God. And I receive forgiveness of sins, and I know God wants to do that. He does so through the preaching of the word. Pray, pray for me. Church of Colossae, if you pray for me, pray that God would open that door. Pray that God would give me that opportunity. It was Paul's personal commission from the Lord, and now he is surrounded by Gentiles. Now he has that opportunity. Have you ever been surrounded by unbelievers and the door of witnessing seems to be shut? Pray. Pray and preach. That's all we've been called to do. Don't evaluate. Just pray and preach. Lord, give me an open door for praying. Give me an open door for preaching for sharing your word. And Lord, I pray that your word as it goes out from me, that it would achieve its purpose in the life of those people who you desire to hear. So what this tells me, just in whatever it is that God has called us to do, here at Calvary Chapel, Ontario, the burden of Calvary Chapel, Ontario is too much for me. It's too much for any one person. It's all about the people getting together and pray. And praying out. And I know everybody can't be here for noon prayer, but wherever you're at at noon, when you start getting hungry for lunch, May that be that little trigger in your mind that prays. And just pray for that which you know of and what's going on. And just be a person that prays. Pray for the situation and circumstances of your life. If you're married, get together with your spouse and pray out loud. Both of you. Both of you pray. I don't care if you, you know, I don't really know how to pray. Just talk to God. Talk to God. And and just seek God out and understand that this holy God will will receive my heart and not really the things that come out of my mouth, but the expression of my heart. And as I have that heart to pray, God's going to honor me. We enter into this work of God together. It's the only way that any church is going to be able to move forward. And so we must spend our time talking to God about man so that we would be able to talk to man about God. Pray that this would be... Well, what is this church to be? Now, I've seen a dynamic of churches and um, big churches, little churches, not talking about any church specifically. A church has one of two ways that it can go. It can become a tomb. A tomb, a place that people come to spiritually die just to kind of skate out the rest of their life. Or it can become a womb. A womb where people come and they're birthed in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that if you notice when you walk out of here, all of the doors open that way. They open out into the world. And that's the whole idea. We are to go out into the world and we are to make disciples. Come in here, we get the word, be prepared in prayer, and go out and see what God has for you. 
I know God has great things for us in 2015. We must be open to what it is that the Lord has. We've got to seek it out in prayer. Father, once again, we do thank you. We thank you, Father, that your word sets our direction and shows, Lord, us your will and your way. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people who pray. And, and Father, we've been given examples in the scripture. And, Father, I pray that we would take those examples. But, Lord, wherever it is and whatever you have called us to do, may we just lift it up to you, just seeking you out, Lord, understanding that the work is too great for us and it's according to your will and your power. And, Father, the best way that we're prepared is to simply pray. And so, Father, may we increase and strengthen our relationship with you through this lines of communication that you have gifted us with, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?